Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 95, Young Dante Alighieri and Florence. A History of Italy is a chronological podcast of the history of the Italian peninsula from the fall of the Western Roman Empire in 476 to the present day, if we ever get there. This is in case you stumbled upon this episode and the podcast looking for something about the great poet Dante Alighieri and are not a usual listener to the podcast. If you are, apologies for repeating because you know exactly what we're talking about. So, without further dillying or even dallying, let's get started with the podcast episode. Donne che avete intelletto d'amore Io vo con voi della mia donna dire Non perché creda sua laude finire Ma ragionar per sfogar la mente Io dico che pensando il suo valore Amor si dolce mi si fa sentire Che s'io allora non perdessi ardire Farei parlando innamorar la gente You women who understand love I wish to speak to you of my woman, not because I could possibly say enough to praise her, but just to lighten my mind. I say that thinking of her virtue, I am filled with such love, that if I did not lose courage, I would, just by speaking, make people fall in love. Now, I'll bet you are expecting to hear an excerpt from Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy, Perhaps the start of hell, the famous nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita, in the midst of our walk and blah 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 blah. Well, you probably will eventually, because I am a sucker for famous quotes and cliches, but for now, we'll have to be content with a part of the vita nova, new life. Indeed, as you may know and probably imagine, Dante Alighieri did write other things beside his comedy. This work is in the style of the Dolce Stil Novo, the sweet new style, literally, and placed Dante among the group of poets called the Stil Novisti, who, Dante first among them, are credited with the creation of the Italian language, or at least bringing the vernacular spoken language into the limelight, replacing Latin as the language of literature. We Italians can't say we were actually the first to do this, it was really the French, with the troubadours from Provence, bringing the habit of the use of the local language over the border. Indeed, some early examples of writing of Italian authors was in Provencal French, Marco Polo's Milione, for example. There had been an early attempt at developing a form of Italian, as we have seen in Frederick II Sicily. Indeed, we mentioned that Frederick himself had written in Sicilian, and had some of his laws written in that language. However, 
things did not get really serious until they reached Florence and the group of Stilnovisti. Just to shoot out a few names if you're looking to do some extra reading, Guido Guinizelli, Gino da Pistoia, Lapo Gianni and Guido Cavalcanti. It was the latter, Guido Cavalcanti, who got a young Dante into the in-crowd as he started to become known at a young age. These chaps were searching for a higher, refined and noble expression of their sentiments, in which the object of their love was seen more for her spiritual virtues and angelic female form than a carnal love. Some more cynical observers would say that this was also so the poets could write love poems for the wives of powerful men without getting into too much trouble. Before we get to the start of the literary career of Dante, this scrawny young man with a difficult, haughty character, let's take a step back just for a moment. We only need to delve into his childhood to know that he was born in 1265 in Florence and his whole name is Durante di Alighiero degli Alighieri. His was not one of the most important families in Florence and not even one of the nobility, although they could trace their origins back to a knight, Cacciaguida, in the early 12th century. Perhaps the most important event for Dante, the child, was a party in 1274. At the age of nine, the poet goes to a party and ends up sitting next to a little girl aged eight. The boy is highly impressed with this angelic figure in her white dress and will see her as his great love and muse, as well as his guide through his imaginary trip through heaven. The little girl's name is Beatrice, and she was the inspiration behind the opening lines to this episode. Beatrice Portinati was the daughter of an important man in Florence, Folco Portinati, and would go on to marry a man called Simone de Bardi, of the important Bardi banking family. At the age of nine, Dante is still going through school, and yes, there were schools in Florence at the time, probably enough to educate around 13,000 students in a city that was heading for 100,000 inhabitants inside the city walls and another 80,000 in the surrounding Contado, the farmland areas. After school, young Dante became a pupil of one Brunetto Latini. Latini was a well-known notary and man of culture. He was a real gentleman and admired in society, as well as having done diplomatic work for the communal authorities of Florence. Dante had great affection and respect for his teacher, who allowed our poet to rise above his basic rudimentary education. However, Dante did not hesitate to cast poor Brunetto Latini down into hell because of his homosexuality. How grateful. Now, this consideration allows us to touch upon two quick points. First of all, contrary to what some people seem to think, i.e. that homosexuality is some new fashionable trend of the 80s and 90s, it was quite common in the Middle Ages as in antiquity. Furthermore, it shows that the Middle Ages were not a time of totalitarian church control over hearts and minds, but people were quite happy to go about their daily business and completely ignore the teachings and rules of the church, 
including many members of the church itself and including many popes. Anyway, as thanks for getting Dante a decent education, Paul Latini was cast into hell with the Sodomites, forced to walk on boiling hot sand with fire raining down on him. How grateful once again. After his instruction with Latini, Dante went off to Bologna to do a little studying at university, but didn't actually get around to finishing his degree. He went back to Florence and continued with his writing. The fact that he always wrote about his divine Beatrice didn't mean that he shunned the more immediate company of other young ladies as he hung around with a group of Stil Novisti. These little escapades reached the ear of the angelic Beatrice herself, who apparently then refused to exchange Dante's greeting in the street one day, which got him in a twist for days on end. So things went on like this until 1289, when Dante found himself involved in the Battle of Campaldino at the age of 24. Understanding where this battle came from allows us to look back a little bit closer at the history of Florence in this period. Before that, a word from our sponsor. So, we haven't really focused on Florence as much as we have, say, on Venice, basically because Florence hadn't really come into real prominence yet. Up until and after the year 1000, it was a small town like many others in Tuscany and in Italy. It started to get some recognition under my heroine, Matilda, Countess of Canossa, and her mother, Beatrice, in the mid to late 11th century. You could set Florence's real entry into the limelight around 1125, the year in which they managed to subdue nearby Fiesole, known as the Balcony of Florence, asserting Florence's domination in the area. Incidentally, if you manage to get to Florence, I really do recommend also a visit to Fiesole, and in particular its archaeological site, with Roman temples, baths and amphitheatres mixed in with Etruscan ones. They also have a nice museum section on our old friends the Lombards. Don't you miss them? I miss them. You can actually see a mini-documentary of it on a History of Italy website. After asserting itself in 1125, Florence had its first elected communal officials in 1138. Its desire to grow economically pushed its territorial expansion, and expand it did. By 1172, a new ring of walls was required, and with population density increasing, buildings started to go up vertically, and the important families started to build their towers. In 1193, Florence moved from the consular form of government to electing a podesta, and by 1207 said podesta would be foreign, i.e. from Italy, but not from Florence, but also later from outside of Italy, as, for example, Holy Roman Emperors and Kings were sometimes nominated Podesta. 1215, as those amazing listeners with extra keen memories may remember, was the year in which tradition would have factional violence explode in the city and the line drawn between Guelphs and Ghibellines. 
For an in-depth reminder, you can go to episode 77, The Situation in the 13th Century and the Example of Florence. Just to give you a quick summary, a guy named Buondelmonte dei Buondelmonti gets into an argument at a wedding and stabs another guy called Arrigo dei Finfanti. To make up for it, the faction of the stabbed guy forced the stabber to marry one of their women. Buondelmonte says, OK, I'll marry her, and then goes off and marries someone else, a member of an opposing faction and the Donati family, passing by the church in which he was to wed his original bride on his way to meet his new fiancée. This is too much for the honour of those involved, and Buondelmonte is assassinated, thus sowing the seeds of the hatred that would see the factions align with the whole pro-imperial Ghibellines and pro-papal Guelphs, with different characteristics and issues in Florence, as was the case in all cities involved. This division, as we have seen, was not only within cities, but between cities and Florence, who would end up being predominantly Guelph, started to defeat the other cities in Tuscany one by one. Two particularly important ones were Pisa and Volterra. The latter part of the 13th century in particular saw Florence also grow economically and start to assert itself as the political powerhouse it would become. We have seen that in 1254 their coin, the Florin, was, well, coined, becoming in time an important international currency as well as an imaginary kingdom in the Princess Bride film. By Dante's time, a third set of walls became necessary, and all of the streets within those walls were paved. The 147 bakeries in the city would start work early to make the bread for the inhabitants, who also required around 30,000 pigs and 4,000 cows for their sustenance. If you got indigestion from eating all that pork and beef, you could head off to one of the 30-odd hospitals and recover in one of their 1,000 bed spaces. Trade, commerce and production boomed with textile and banking leading the way. The great banking families had by now asserted themselves, such as the Bardi, the family Beatrice married into, the Peruzzi and the Cerchi, who along with the Donati family you might want to remember. Cerchi and Donati. By the end of the 13th century and the time we are talking about, there were not so many Ghibelline cities left in Tuscany, and among those was Arezzo, in the south of Tuscany. And of course, we can't have a Ghibelline city in a predominantly Guelph Tuscany now, can we? Soon enough, a Guelph alliance of 12,000 men, including young Dante, was marching off to face the Ghibellines who had rallied around Arezzo and numbered around 9,000 led by the bishop of the city. The story of the battle is like so many others before it. At first, it seemed like the Guelph army would break with their centre retreating. The wings, however, held, and when the Ghibelline army pushed into the centre, said wings closed around it, and that was all she wrote. This battle, that of Campaldino on the 11th of June 1289, can be seen as the definitive defeat of the Ghibellines. 
Among those who distinguished themselves were Corso Donati, of the antique and noble Donati family, and Vieri Cerchi, of the up-and-coming banking family of the Cerchi. As far as Dante is concerned, he apparently didn't do too badly, and more interesting from a literary point of view, before or after the battle, he may have had time to meet and get to know another participant, the Sienese poet, i.e. from Siena, Cecco Angiolieri. I must say, now that I'm no longer forced to study him at school, I'm warming up to Dante. As far as Cecco goes, I've always loved him. Where Dante was all noble, inspired language, sweet style and angelic damsels, Cecco was for alcohol, gambling and prostitutes. You could say he was a sort of proto-Bohemian poet, with his life and his poetry reflecting each other. If you really want to delve a bit into Italian culture, you can actually hear a musical version of one of Cecco Angiolieri's poems put into music by the great Italian singer-songwriter Fabrizio De André. This is not a novelty because, at the time, many of the poems would have been put into music. Even Dante's poems may have been put into music because that is the way they were listened to and consumed at the time. I've added a link to what I hope is the official version offered by Sony Music, so you can listen in the episode notes. The lyrics are quite short, so we can have a look at them. Si fossi fuoco arderei lo mondo, se fossi vento lo tempesterei, se fossi acqua l'annegherei, se fossi Dio manderellen profondo, si fossi papa sarei allor giocondo, che tutti i cristiani imbriglierei. Se fosse imperator sa che farei, a tutti mozzerei lo capo a tondo. Se fossi morte andrei da mio padre, se fossi vita fuggirei da lui. Ugualmente farei a mia madre. Se fossi cecco, come io sono e fui, torrei le donne giovani leggiadre, vecchie laide lasserei altrui. If I were fire, I would burn the earth. If I were wind, I would destroy it with storms. If I were water, I would drown it. If I were God, I would hurl it into the abyss. If I were the Pope, I would enjoy myself because I would get all Christians in trouble. If I were the Emperor, you know what I would do? I'd chop off the heads of those around me. If I were death, I would go to my father. If I were life, I would flee from him. And I would do the same with my mother. If I were Cecco, as I am and always have been, I would take the young and beautiful women and leave the old and ugly to the others. So that was Cecco Angiolieri, and Dante may have met him, maybe spent some time with him, and, who knows, did a little bit of drinking and partying with him. The year was 1289. Dante had won his spurs, been in a real battle and his Guelphs had possibly definitively defeated the Ghibellines and he was becoming a well-known writer. He must have felt that it was a good year for him. It was not to last, for 1290 would bring tragedy.
thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters. They are at the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. Anthony G, Brian J, Celine, Chanel, Chris, David L, Dean V, Elizabeth, Greg, Ignacio, Jeffrey W, Old John in Milwaukee, Kevin, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Neville, uh, Periadice, uh, Patrizia Kappa, Peter W, Rene B, Roberta D, Rodney N, the Question Master, Rudy F, Scott L, Shelby, and Stephen, and the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, Maxime, David A, and the super top level, Sen. Thank you very much to everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to new supporters. Uh, this is either Simone, if it's in Italian, so a boy's name, or Simone, if it's written in English and a girl's name. So if you want to let me know and clarify that, that would be great. And Gunnar, thank you very much for your new Patreon support. And I'd also like to very much thank two PayPal donors, the very generous Bruce V, thank you very much, and the incredibly generous Ryan P. Thank you, thank you very much. And we also had a nice exchange of emails with Ryan and I'd like to say hello to you in this occasion. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com to send in questions, doubt, uh, philosophical issues, considerations on the facts of the day, or just to say hello, whatever you want. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, which is a bit dormant because I really don't know how to use it. So if anybody wants to send me some kind of tutorial, I'll be happy to have a look at that. And you can also go to our support page where you can become a patron or donate via PayPal, and that would be greatly appreciated. You can also look at some of our sources where there is a reading list, timelines, and maps to help you navigate our country's complicated history. Until next time, thank you very much to everyone for listening, and arrivederci. Checo, my good man, having a few drinks to celebrate, I see. How did the battle go for you? Oh, Dante, <laughs> oh, Alighieri, how, how, how are you? Yeah, we, we sure showed those, those Guelphs, eh? Um, uh, we are the Guelphs. Ah, are we? Ah, well, we, um, we sure showed that goody two-shoes Pope, didn't we? <laughs> um... We weren't fighting the Pope. Uh, weren't we? Uh, we? We probably we probably should, though. Um, uh, okay, the Florentines, then, those no-good corrupt bankers that... Uh, I am a Florentine, and we were on your side. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Joking, of course, of course, yeah. Uh, you know what? We should write, like, a poem ab about this battle. Ye yes, I suppose we could. Uh, okay, so, um, how should we start? Well, we usually invoke the muses, something like, Oh, sacred and divine inspiration of great poets past! Oh, muses, inspire us to tell of this great battle! 
Yeah, yeah. Not, not bad. Um, how about ancient Greek sexy hotties help us write stuff? Uh, well, maybe we'll, we'll come back around to that part. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, 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 go ahead. Um, on this morrow, we did set forth to bring the righteous fight to those who would oppose the light of truth. With the strength of virtue and the justness of our cause, we did triumph. Nice. Um, a bit airy, maybe? Well, what do you suggest? How about, um, they disagreed with us, so we hacked them to bits with our swords. Well, that's the gist, I suppose, but it's not quite what I had in mind. Tell you what, let's go down in the tavern and see if we find inspiration there. Yes, that might be a good idea. Sentir a media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com. That's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.